podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1871 podcast and as well as a look back at the draw against Burnley and a look ahead to the game against Luton, we'll also be talking to our special guest tonight, former Reading FC director Graham Denton. And among the other topics we're going to be discussing with, with Graham, uh, Graham will be talking to us about how he helped Sir John Medeski when he bought the club and also um, his involvement in Reading's move from Elm Park to the Medeski Stadium, among plenty of other topics as well. And we've got Dylan Kerr with us, uh, and he's fresh from taking Marumo Gallants out of the South African Premier Division relegation zone. So well done to Dylan. And um, j- just wanted to mention something that I did at the weekend. Uh, I went to see Brian McDermott. Uh, do his presentation on his recovery um, from addiction. Uh, so he, so Russell Brown was was hosting that. Russell um, and Brian McDermott know each other very well. Um, so Russell Brown was the host. Uh, Brian McDermott was um, doing his presentation on his recovery from addiction, and it was absolutely brilliant. So if you get an opportunity to see that, it's well worth worth going and there's lots of stuff in there about Reading as well so um, fantastic evening uh, with Brian I had a quick chat with him afterwards as well so um, before we talk to Dylan and Graham I'd like to have a chat with you Johnny with our co-host about Saturday's nil-nil draw against Burnley and and Johnny I, I think personally there were three reasons to be cheerful on Saturday so obviously we managed a draw against the champions elect yeah. Um, other results went our way and we stopped them from breaking the 106 record. Uh, they've got to win all their games to to equal it, uh, five games left. And a fourth reason, and, and possibly the, the most important one, is that there did seem to be a renewed positivity from the team in what was Noel Hunt's first game in, in charge. Is that kind of how you see it as well, Johnny? Well, the most important thing, there's a hunt in charge of Reading. I mean, that goes without saying, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but like, I know I wasn't at the game, but I watched and, and <clears throat> different, totally different to in, in every aspect. You know, yeah, Burnley were a, you know, obviously a top team, but didn't let them really play. Yeah, they had a lot of possession. Um, their right winger was very good, but uh, Nestor Guinness-Walker did really well against him. Um, you know, they had, one, they had one clear chance, which, you know, is... Be amazing, and it was just the the spirit that was there. Ince's uh, Hunt, his leadership, you could see it. The impact he's already had in a few days with the players because they were up for it. The change of formation to four four two, old fashioned one that worked as well and gave us a bit of width. And you know what we've said for a while, he trusted the young players. He trusted the young players to start, um, and then he had the young players to come on as well. And they all knew what their role was, and they were comfortable doing it. Um, and it shows you what you can do, as we've said, you know, with the same, like we said about Warnock with the players at Huddersfield, Huntley's done that with the players at Reading, you know, he's, he's transformed. We're not getting carried away on one game, but I don't think, any, you know, apart from winning it, I don't think anything anyone could have thought it could have gone any better um, for so many different reasons, you know, and that's a positive start for, for the big game coming up against Luton. Yeah, and, and it's just can one I, just, just one point separating Huddersfield, QPR, Cardiff and Reading. <laughs> Um, and Dylan, you you want to come in on what Johnny's just said, do you? D- 
Dylan? What have you seen? Oh, we can't, we can't. Well, get, get some young blood in there. Get, get, get we'll come back to you. So there's just one, one point separating Huddersfield, QPR, Cardiff and Reading now, Johnny. And after Wednesday's game against Luton, Reading will have just three games remaining. So I think it's fair to say that, you know, what you said about Saturday's game, that there's now more optimism that yeah. we, we can actually stay in the championship now, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you, you look at, you know, it's just his attitude and even talking about, you know, what it meant to him being there. I think you're talking about, you know, with the empty stand and just getting it, the atmosphere in for himself and believing that he's running the club. And you know, whatever happens, that he's doing it for the club and he's going to do his utmost best to make it work. And and I think, you know, everyone sees that in him. Everyone believes in what he's doing. And the players look like they're refreshed from what he's, everybody's telling them in the changing rooms. Um, and, and, you know, you, you look at it and go, we've got a chance now. We have really got a chance because the other teams were going, geez, they just got a point against Burnley. And our first, what, clean sheet in 20 games, I think it was. Um, and, you know, it, 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 you know, stopping the record as well is brilliant. The crowd was brilliant, you know, and that's what we've got to repeat on Wednesday. It probably won't be as big a crowd, but we need to get that going again. Um, get that positive, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we'll have more opportunities to score on Wednesday, even though Luton's a tough team. So he won't be underestimating them. He'll have a game plan. But everyone will go will go for it. And also now Bordock's basically kind of come out and said that he hopes Reading get relegated. I'd stick that on the on the change room wall and say, let's get it into him and and, and prove him wrong, you know, and let's hope let's send Huddersfield down. You know, that's and he said, I think, you know, his attitude is we're hunting after teams now. You know, yeah, hunt, you know yeah. that, so it's a real positive mindset of let's go out and do it. Rather, it's is always Oh, let's hope for a draw that's negative, negative, negative. And Huntley's come out and go, that this is a new way. It's brilliant. Yeah, before we before we bring Dylan and, and Graham in, um, just, just wanted to ask you finally, Johnny, um, the game against Luton on Wednesday, are, are we looking for more of the same that we saw from Reading against Burnley, against Luton? Yeah, you're, you're certainly looking for the same application, the same organisation, the same uh, approach. Probably what the one thing you're looking for now is a little bit more um, goal threat, a little bit more chance to create opportunities, you know. And I think he will set that up, whatever he does, whether it's, you know, we're obviously limited with the choices, but maybe Mate might be there as availability. He might change things up front. With, you know, Carol Jow played very well on Saturday. You know, the players that haven't looked good, he's, he's installed sort of some spirit back into them. And... I don't think Luton would be looking forward to coming to playing against us, you know, to be honest. And I think that's probably the first time in a long time teams are now going, hold on, this is a new Reading, you know, and that's that's a positive thing that Hunt's done already. And, you know, not getting carried away that he's going to win the next four games, but it'd be nice if he did. But game at a time, let's go for it on Wednesday and see where we land after that. You know, we're in it now. You know, that's the best thing. Yeah, so time now for a, a quick chat with, with Dylan. And Dylan, sorry, we couldn't really... Um, I think there was a connection issue there, but uh, hopefully we can hear you now. Um, I just wanted to talk to you about Marumo Gallants because obviously you took over back in, in January. Uh, Marumo Gallants, bottom of the South African Premier Division. Um, they're in, unbeaten in the league since um, your arrival. And they're now clear of the relegation zone. And you've got another game coming up on Wednesday. Um, if you are there, Dylan, and you can hear us and the connection's OK, you must be feeling confident that Marumo Gallants can stay up now. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. 
Yeah. Um, no, no, we 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 got we thought we got three great points against Chippy United, who were. Been... Oh, we're, we're losing. I was, I was absolutely... losing you, Dylan. Oh, go on. Listen, I'll go down. I'm going to go downstairs because the network might be better downstairs. Yeah, give me, okay. two, give, me, give me a minute. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, while we're waiting for Dylan to come back, um, let's introduce our special guest for this evening who's been waiting patiently, um, former Royals director Graham Denton. So welcome, Graham, to the 1871 podcast. And thank you for joining us. Um, pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, so, Graham, you, you started off as, as a Reading fan. Um, you became a club patron. And then I think I'm right in saying that you, you actually were considering buying the club before Sir John Medeski took over. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I obviously don't want to take anything away from what John's done. Um, so originally, I, as a kid, I was a supporter and went to as many games as I could when I wasn't playing. Um, even used to walk home sometimes because I spent the bus fare on a programme or something in the club shop. So I uh, lived out of Berthold Common, so it was a fair step. Um, and then I got re-involved, actually through, uh, not directly through John, but John had um, a box uh, through his company, Auto Trader, and his, uh, his co-owner of the Auto Trader, Paul Gibbons, invited me a couple of times into their box. And... I then went to some box launch for the next phase. Um, I mean, I will tell the full story because it's quite interesting, I suppose, in a sense. Um, it sort of shows where Reading were as opposed to where they are these days. Um, you know, Mike Lewis, I met at that occasion and he somehow managed to persuade me to become a box holder of the new boxes. On top of which, I used to own a construction group and uh, which I sold in 2004. And... Um, we built the boxes, and um, I never got, uh, as I as I recall, certainly some of my um, the money that was owed to me was repaid by taking a box. Uh, otherwise, I probably wouldn't have got all the money I was owed. That's just how it was back then. And um, so we were box holders for a number of years. Then they launched the patrons, and initially it was twelve invited local businessmen, and uh, there were various. Um, characters and business people from around the town back then um i was fortunate to be one of them and by some way the youngest because i was still in my 20s i think when i first got invited and um roger smee asked me to look after the ground for him and run something called the the grounds committee which um i was fortunate enough to have a guy called george marshall who was a not only a great man he was also a great supporter of running football club and was a supporter up to the the day he sadly died. Um, and uh, he was also managing director of a company called Collier and Catley, which I subsequently bought, which was brought about by my involvement as uh, um, the chairman of the grounds committee. So, um, you know, that was quite an interesting sort of backstory, if you like. And, um, you know, things developed from there. And there was also another wonderful character who was also a patron. So was George called Frank Orton, who um, uh, Frank Orton's family had the covenant on the old Elm Park and Frank was a was uh, the life president up until uh, the time that he uh, sadly passed away. But he was another guy that went to many 
most of the, well, all of the home games and the majority of the away games and was still driving well into his 80s uh, up and down the, the motorways of uh, Great Britain to go and support Reading um, uh, as he did back in those days. He's also a great cricket supporter, Frank. Um, so, yeah, that led to um, me being quite close to things. And uh, when the club was in trouble um, in uh, the, at the end of 1990, um, I looked at it with my finance director at the time. We were struggling to get information out of the directors at the time. They just really wanted someone to come in and sort of take it over. I knew John. Um, I spoke to John and John said what he was prepared to do. And I said, OK, I'll stand the way. And um, when you're ready, give me a shout. And I'll come in and help you um, roll the sleeves up and get the job done. Um there was actually, I was trying to find it before tonight's podcast, but I couldn't um, lay my hands on it. But there was a, a runners and riders sort of forecast on the front of the evening post back in the day. And it had sort of, I think John was either first or second. I think John Knight was also uh, in, in in there as one of the odds. And I was in there twice. I was in there as the the you know as as Graham Denton, um, but I'd never speak to the press because they never really reported it as I felt they should. And then there was also a consortium which I was also involved in, and it it was a number of people involved in the club. But John was clearly the right man to do it. He was um, you know he, he 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 was prepared to do it. He was financially um, in the place that you know he could deal with it. I think that you know it probably was a greater. Um, challenge than he originally thought but you know we got it under control quite quickly so I think he took it over on one day the next day he and I met for lunch and um, you know the process started from there so I, I'd like to think that John would agree that I went in and did a lot of the um, sort of um, hard work in the background um, he certainly provided the cash there's no question about that um, and, um, you know, he's uh, got a lot, uh, people have got a lot to thank him for because he's obviously left it in a much happier place than, um, than, than he found it. And, uh, you know, it's cost him a lot of money in the process, So, um, but that's a matter for him to discuss, not for me. Um, the only other thing I would say on it is that I am proud to say that I think uh, at least four of the six years I was involved, we managed to, break even or make a little bit of money. There were a couple of years where that wasn't possible, mainly through um, things that had already been put in place that we couldn't do much about. And certainly in the first year, um, it was a bit of a mess, um, but we got it under control. I think things started to, you know, and obviously we could then look to things like the new stadium. Um, and uh, I'd like to think, although I can't claim to have helped take it to, um, small meat, as as it was known in those days. Um, I can claim uh, my part in negotiating the deal with Edinburgh Council, being involved in all those key negotiations, along with John. It was John and myself, along with all the senior officers. And I have to say, in credit to Edinburgh Council, at the time they were very supportive, determined. We had a chief executive, um, head of legal services, head of highways, head of planning, leader, deputy leader, I'd have to say they all played their part and they were all superb in, in helping John and I achieve, achieve the dream and getting the planning consent, um, both there and at Elm Park, 
it was a great willingness to do it and uh, a great desire. John obviously took it on after I left and took it to the point of delivery. But I, I would say, I mentioned a chap earlier called George Marshall, and I it co- my um, stepping down at the football club it coincided with George's retirement. Um, George was managing director of Polly Academy, and he, as I said earlier, he was a great man, and he went in and um, helped oversee the project for the football club. So I, I felt a connection and certainly uh, George used to keep me uh, posted as to how things were going and now um, the little things that mattered to me, things like giving decent knee room um, between seats and things like that, George tried to make sure those little details that I was keen to see um, were delivered within the, within the uh, design of the stadium. And I think it's fair to say that was um, along with a number of other small things. But yeah, I, I wouldn't want to take anything away for, from Sir John or, um, or anybody else that was involved in that, that final process because I certainly involved in the planning and negotiations we read in Borough. But when I decided to stand down, you know, I obviously stood away from that. Well, we're going to bring in Dylan and, and, and then Johnny. Uh, so I'll come to Dylan. Firstly, Dylan, um, let's test the question. Are you, are you with us? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, brilliant. Loud and clear. Well, listen, over to you, because I know that you know Graham really well. So um, obviously far away with a couple of questions to, to Graham, and then uh, we'll bring Johnny in after that. No, honestly, I mean, I've, I've been, I've, I'm absolutely delighted that uh, Graham's not only doing this, but actually it's the first time I've seen him since I left Reading. And, you know, it's he was part um, with Sir John and obviously Mike Lewis in bringing me down to Reading. And I can't thank him enough for that because, you know, what, what a great experience I, I've had and I'm still having. And uh, Graham was probably the, 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 the man in the small bar for the director's lounge that I often frequented because I'd get many man of the matches and, you know, I'd been there and, you know, and uh, he introduced me to a lot of people, especially two famous Yorkshire people, Jane and Graham, who I ended up living with um, when I was at Reading. But, you know, it was, it was, it was, it's, it's brilliant to actually see him. He's looking brilliant. You know, he's, he's, he's still as exciting as ever. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and I'm, and I'm glad he's still got his hair, which is even a bonus. But Graham, you know, when, when obviously I joined in 90, in 1993, you know, we had, we had that small office under the stadium. You know, I think there was, Mike Lewis, I think, you know, the Jane Rabbit, uh, there was a, another secretary. I can't remember her name, but she was a little girl, a little uh, toty girl. Then obviously there was Jackie came. Um, and I, can, I think the, the the then secretary was Nigel. Um, I think it was called Nigel. No, the, um, the secretary at the club at the time, um, I think um, there was a there was a guy that was not there very long, but... Andrea was the club secretary. The, the little See, Andrea was the club secretary. There was no yeah. Nigel there until after I left. Um, oh, he- Jane, Jane, Jane might have been there briefly. There was another Jane before Andrea. There were two Janes as well, and then there was Eileen and Sue in the accounts. Yeah, and Brian. Brian. Brian, Brian yeah. yeah. Well, I appointed Brian. He's he's the one thing that's still there, of course. Um, he is know, still there. But how did how? I mean. We've we've spoken on this quite a lot of times. We we in, as players and as a squad, 
we had a family atmosphere. We we mm. we we belonged to the supporters. We belonged to Reading, not just the football club, but the, to, to the town. I mean, you know, when you went into it with Sir John, I mean, what what was your initial thinking? You wanted to buy it, obviously, and you know, you're in the consortium, as you said. But when you actually took over Reading, I mean, you know, how was that feeling? How was your what was your optimism and what was your thoughts of how the club were going to go, where where they were going to go? Well, I think the first the, the first thing was to sort of get underneath it all. I, I mean, I, I didn't play at a professional level, but I played a fair bit of football myself. And, you know, it was always my passion. Um, and I'd been involved in the club, at, you know, in the background for some time. So really the idea was to try and get an understanding of the problems. And th- th- there were some problems. I remember the first player we signed, I don't know if he was still there when you arrived. Danny Bailey was the first player we signed from Exeter City. I saw Danny actually at a, a youth game that I went to where my son was on trial um, some years ago. And he, he hadn't changed. Um, and then, you know, we, I guess Ian Portfield was manager. And, you know, again, I, I wouldn't want to talk disrespectfully about Ian. He, he did do a fair job, but there came a time where it was necessary for a change. And um, Eddie, who's back at the club now, Stayed for a short while, but was very loyal to Ian and wouldn't wouldn't be considered for the job. So we had to go out and 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 look for a new manager. And at the time, the press were always watching the club for any leaks or stories, and they were they knew where John lived. They didn't know much about me, so we did all the interviews at my house. And um, you know, we we saw I don't know eight or ten managers. Um, some experience, some not so experienced, some experience, including Mark. And Mark was the standout. And I, um, you know, Mark turned up in this uh, sponsored car with Newcastle United all over the side of it because he was still a player for them officially at the time. And um, we had to hide it in front of one of my garages and and park a couple of cars around it because we still had a couple of interviews to do. And... um, I, I took him to the French Horn, booked him into a French Horn in my name and just said to Michael, Look, don't ask any questions. We'll be back later tonight. Um, and uh, because the table for, for dinner for four or five people. And that's how it happened back then. And we appointed Mark and, and that was the start of the journey, really. Um, and, you know, Mark, in fairness, brought Colin in and I saw Colin's podcast recently. Um, so, you know, Colin and both of them, were prepared to come in for no money. I mean, we didn't pay Mark very much when he came and Colin even less. And, you know, um, we put some incentives in place where, you know, they got some money if the crowds went up and those sorts of things, but it all started to happen. And I always remember when I first got involved and started going to boardrooms, other directors would say to me, every manager you employ, they'll all want two more players. And when you get in those two more players, they want two more but they won't want to let anyone go because of this, that, and the other. So, and that really proved to be the point. But in Mark's case, you know, Mark and I are the same age. We we became good mates. Um, we went on holiday together a couple of times. Um, and I'd go to games with him on a Tuesday night and watch a player if he wanted me to support him um, in terms of making a case to the chairman and so on. Obviously, John Adels always had the final say. But, you know, there are some amusing moments because I remember on one occasion the final piece of the jigsaw was Quinny and um, Quinny was at Bournemouth at the time 
John had to go abroad, I think, on business. And John said to me, look, you know, get him for 50. Mark had said, I reckon we can get him for 50 or 60,000. So, of course, John latches on to the 50, which is understandable. So John says, you can go to 50,000. So, anyway, Mark and uh, Tony Poulis, who was the Bournemouth manager at the time, they tried to do a deal, didn't happen. So eventually I get dragged into it and have to speak to their chairman. I can't remember his name now, Hayward, I think his name was. And um, eventually we do a deal, I think 50 grand straight in and five grand after so many games. Um, and John comes back and he gives, he gives me a right telling off and said, I told you 50 grand. What are you doing about Where's the other five grand coming from? I said, well, you know, and you think about the way money's thrown around today. So the last three bits of our jigsaw were, was Quinny was the final piece, but I think Simon Osborne was one of them. And there was one other person. I, I, it might have been Paul Olsgrove. I can't remember if it was him or somebody else now. But, I mean, I think, you know, we had, a, we had some spectacular signings. And I remember when we signed Darius Vodovchek, um, who I think is one of the best centre-halves ever to play for Reading, other than perhaps Haiti, just in case he's watching. Um, but uh, I think Darius was just a... a you know, a player that read the game is very intelligent. He wasn't the biggest centre half, but he could read it, pick up, you know, pick the ball out there and find a find a player to start a, a move off. And you know, I went. I remember we signed Darius in uh, Villa Marina in Henley, which is still there. Mark, myself, um, Raymond Sparks, who was Darius's agent, and our wives. Um, you know, he it was after we played. Um, the Spanish team uh, um, in a friendly. Um, Darius played in that for us. But we managed to get him. And I thought that was some coup on Mark's behalf. And obviously, must have been partly due to his relationship with Ray Spark, Raymond Sparks, the, the Scottish agent that brought him down. But, you know, I think pretty much every signing Mark made, um, you know, made, made a difference. And, you know, gelled with the backbone of the local lads, the A.D. Williams, the Scotty Taylors, um, Archie Levels. Um, and, you know, I, I can remember back in the day, Archie Lovell, when he first started playing in the first team, didn't even have a car. And I used to drop him off home in Cavisham Park Village on my way home, you know. Um, so I lived in Sonnen in those days. I don't know if you were on the bus that day where we played Brentford away and I'd had a function at my house the previous weekend and said, look, boys, you want to come back for a few beers? There's some beer left. Let's... Uh, and, and, and I know Ray Ranson and um, a few others came back at the time. And, you know, we ended up in the chairman's limo, dropped, taking you all down the French horn. And uh, the chairman didn't look too comfortable with that and soon moved you off down into the town to one of the more appropriate bars. But in those days, you know, those trips on the team bus, you know, they were special. Um, you wouldn't be allowed to do it today, but I remember coming back on one team bus from somewhere up north um, and uh, can't remember exactly which one it was. We loaded the beer up with beer, but it was a long old trek wherever it was, probably somewhere like Grimsby. We came off the motorway at Birmingham and found another off-licence to top up with beer. That wouldn't wouldn't happen today, but it it all made that team spirit that much greater. And, you know, on the way to a game, I never interfered, but coming back, I was sat with the lads watching the videos, playing cards, you know, even arm wrestling and all the silly things that went on on a team bus up and down the motorways. 
Um, and they were some fantastic times. And, you know, I was, I was only in my early thirties, so I wasn't much older than most of them and a similar age to one or two. And, um, they were special times. I, you know, I, I, I always thought that, but that, you know, I think, um, there was only one person that was more miserable than me, and that was Kevin Dillon. <laughs> yeah, Graham, Graham, I just want to, I know Dillon's probably got a few more questions to ask you, but I, I'm conscious of the fact that uh, Johnny's been sitting there waiting to, to ask his questions. So, Johnny, go on, jump in and then... Uh, no, no, it's, it's just enjoyable listening resume, to you. Chat. It's just lovely listening to you both. And Graham, I just ask you, what's your, your I guess, I don't want to go on for you too long, but three of your own personal highlights and memories for you being involved in that time which was a huge sort of part of our club I, I think the first the first most memorable time was when we won the championship um and uh, that promotion year 94 um you know when when, when uh, it, and and then obviously uh you know that team went on to almost get us into the premiership and the only year where two teams didn't go up and had to go into the playoffs in second place um so, I mean, I could talk about that for hours because I, I think the, there are a couple of games, particularly the Port Vale game at home, where if we'd have won that instead of drawing it, we, we would, um, you know, we'd have automatically gone up. But there we are. It, it wasn't to be. I guess my my uh, next one is 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 that playoff. Um, I mean, whilst it's going to go to Wembley and then not actually achieve that dream, it was a pretty special uh, uh achievement and um you know so that's my second my third is you know i think i can't actually miss it out i don't think is is we played just um in this in the january before i left the club um we played man united in the fa cup and it was one of only two games in the whole country that got played that day and um we'd hired the pitch covers from wembley i knew the groundsman there a guy called Steve Tingley and um he uh I sent one of my lorries up to collect the ground covers we covered the pitch before all the bad weather came uh we you know uh we got the game on and I also remember ringing Man United and speaking to the club secretary and saying that we've agreed this we got pitch inspection at 8 30 uh on Saturday if you want to send someone along obviously please do and um, I agreed to pick Jeff Winter up and he was, believe this or believe it not, he was staying at the world, turned upside down, down on Basingstoke Road, which was a travel lodge or something similar in those days. I picked him up about 10 past eight, took him down to the ground and we walked out through the old tunnel at Elm Park. And there's Alex Ferguson, Ken Merritt and Fred, the groundsman, out on the pitch. And uh, Alex has come straight over to Jeff Winter and he said, uh, I'm happy to play the game, ref. And uh, Jeff Winter says, I'll make the decisions, Mr. Ferguson, if you don't mind. And then went off with Fred to sort of inspect a few corners of the pitch and the centre circle and I sort of pull the cover back, have a look. So Jeff Winter agrees the game could go ahead. He doesn't want me to take him back. Um, he's going to find his own way back. And so Alex Ferguson turns to me and says... Um, you better get the chairman on the phone now. I'm going to tell him we got a game on. I'll make the tea. Show me where the kettle is. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. And then as he left to go back to, they were staying at the um, Swan at Streetly, he said to me, 
make sure there's a decent bottle of red wine and we'll have a glass after the game. And he and I shared a bottle of red wine. We were having a conversation about the nonsense that was going on at Newcastle at the time, all these players getting paid crazy money. Alex was saying, what chance have I got with all these youngsters coming through, Giggs, Beckham, Skulls, those sort of players. What you know? What's going to happen to this game? So that was the start of you know what has now become you know the circus we all see today in in in, in the sense of the crazy money and the way we've allowed it to get out of control. And um, on top of that, I think particularly given the recent events, um, John Motson came into the boardroom at the end. I didn't invite him to come and have a drink after the game. He'd see me earlier in the day orchestrating people getting uh, things moving so we could get the game played. And it started snowing after everyone had gone, make matters worse. So back in those days, we had a county council. So I got hold of them to grit, grit the roads. I got Reading Borough to grit the footpath. I got an army of my own guys to come in and grit the two open ends so that the terraces were safe for people to stand on. And that's uh, John Watson had witnessed all of this and um, said he came in and I'm sure you probably all heard he does this crib sheet with all the players I've actually got it in my office um, of all the players and a few notes against each player and, and then he's got a few facts like Reading played Man United last in the Watney Cup and all that sort of stuff and he, he'd signed it to Graham best wishes John Watson so that that holds pride a pace for me and that is a very special memory because he was a, obviously a, a great man and um, you know sadly lost to us all now so yeah, so they're my three. Brilliant. I mean, I've got lots of them, to be honest. I could probably he, sit and talk for the rest of the evening on them. Have you got anything on Dylan while he's here? Anything well, the only thing us? that always makes me smile about Dylan, and Dylan, Dylan will probably, uh, you know, what goes on tour stays on tour, Dylan, don't worry. But um, I always remember when we won the championship, um, the players had come up through the director's box, and, you know, we're all sort of embracing and cut. And, and for some reason, I kissed Dylan. I don't know why. And, oh, and Dylan's been interviewed on the radio. He's gone, I just got a kiss off Mr. Dylan. <laughs> so, so it was a bit of a surreal moment. But I always remember it was on the tape on Radio Berkshire or whoever uh, did the, the thing. You know, Dylan's being interviewed and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's relayed the story about you know, running through the direct box and getting a kiss off of me. But, you know, it was a, it was a very special um day that one and uh yeah so no i mean i think dill was always a character always uh always very much uh in the mix and in the middle of everything that went on on the team bus or in, in amongst the players obviously the only and i know you've talked about this before and i'm not going to go into great detail about it but the only time i was ever asked to go to the training ground i mean i probably went once or twice others but mark mcgee rang me up one day and said we've got a real problem and it was the um, Scotty Taylor, Jimmy Quinn incident that you're all very familiar with. So I'm not going to go into it. And um, Mark was saying, well, the players don't want him to play again. And blah, 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 you know, he's, you know, they don't want him in the team anymore. And I said, come on, Mark, he scored 20 old goals or something, you know, and it's only halfway through the season. You know, we've got to get some sense into all of this. Anyway, I sat Quinny in one room and Scotty in the other. Uh, Quinny was full of, you know, remorse and was sorry. And it was one of those flash in the pan moments. Scotty was not that bothered, but was more interested in what he might get out of it. And I won't go into the detail, but there was a, there was a financial settlement, shall we say. And I think, you know, 
Whitney and Scotty shook hands. That was the end of the matter, and Scotty went and lost it at the casino that night. I think you know. So uh, you know that was the sort of stories that I, I, you know, that I I enjoyed. I enjoyed sorting those, but not all the problems they created for me. Not necessarily all of the problems, but most of them. Um, you know, and I had a great rapport with the players. I always got on well. You know, with people like you know Ad Dylan, um, Phil Parkinson, um, Jilksy. You know, was always. Uh, a player that I had to spend a bit of time with, but, you know, in a positive way, he always trusted me. I think he'd been let down by previous people within the club, but it's great to see him still involved. It's great to see him succeeding there. He deserves it. So I'm pleased about that, you know, but there were lots. I mean, you know, Shaka was another one. He was a great character. I must admit when Mark first brought him over, I, I, I needed to convince him, but I've got a great story about that actually, because we sold, um, we we didn't necessarily want to, but Steve Francis signed for Huddersfield for when Neil Warnock was manager. So Mike Lewis and I and Mark McGee, we go up to the tribunal because Warnock offered us 25 grand and we asked for 250. And um, anyway, we go in and out of the tribunal. And at the end, you all go back, you, all, you go in individually, you know, Reading and, and Huddersfield, and you make your case and, and then you get called back and um, you all go in together and then they um, make the, case for um you know who's you know what the decision is anyway they awarded us something like 175,000 and I think we were playing Huddersfield quite early in the season if it wasn't that following weekend it was the one after and as we're going down the staircase Neil Warnock's walking down with Steve Francis Mark Mike and I are walking behind and all we could hear is Neil Warnock saying oh I wouldn't have effing signed you if I've ever known that that's all my budget got on one effing playing and thinking You've got to motivate him in a minute, you know. So there was all those sorts of stories that, um, you know, we, you know, so I, I've never been a Warnock fan after that, I have to say, because <laughs> I never thought that was the greatest uh, display of man management. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, you know, and we went to Huddersfield and won, as I recall. Yeah, 3 0, wasn't it? It was the first game of the season. Yeah, that's what I thought. So Stevie Francis had to be in goal, yeah. So, uh, it was, you know, Steve was always a, a bit of a loner. Um, it, it, I mean, I never had any issues with him, but the lads uh, used to rinse him quite a lot about gnomes, as I recall. I don't know what it was all about. They reckon he had a gnome in his garden or something. But, um, you know, he was a bit of a loner, but he, he was a good servant at Reading Football Club. So I've, I've got nothing to, uh, to, to add to that one, really. Graham, what, what was your role in um, helping Sir John with the move to the the stadium because you I, I think it was was it more to do with um negotiating the the deal with elm park was was that no it, uh, my background's property and, and construction so you know one of the main um things that you know i, I was asked to look at and deal with and, and and to be fair there'd been lots of discussions in the past lots of lots of um in fact i did find did find uh that one, um, which uh, was, uh, and there are lots of others where, you know, I'd been seen going in to see Reading Borough about various things. And, um, but John had worked quite hard in building a relationship with Reading Borough. I, I worked quite hard with Reading Borough. And eventually that all of the pieces came together and we had, I, I'd have to say Martin Sawyer, who went on to be uh, a local MP, um, he was a deputy leader and he was also a very keen Reading supporter. 
And I, I'd have to say, if I was going to give anybody, single anybody out for praise and credit, Martin had a, an unbelievable desire to make that happen. And, I, you know, I think we were very lucky to have him involved in local politics at the time. There was nothing, you know, in it for him. You know, he, he didn't even claim the credit for it, but he was... You know, we used to meet at seven o'clock in the morning to 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 you know get it all done before the the rest of the day, so everyone could get on with their business, and you know also to try and keep it under the radar a bit. And and it it got to the point where we were meeting two or three times uh, a week at sometimes to keep the momentum going. And you know, it as I say, I when I left, there was still some fairly key things still to be resolved. There were some. You know, John and I didn't necessarily agree on how it, you know, some of those things should be done. But it was his club, and I respect that, respected it at the time, and still do. Um, one of them was funding, and in the end, I had different thoughts to John. And you know, John ended up putting his hand in his pocket, and fair play to him. You know, I'm not going to, you know, disrespect that because you know it's how it's happened at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and also, yeah, but- I wanted to ask you about Colin Lee um, because I I heard that. Um, you actually tried to keep Colin Lee. Yeah, I, I watched the podcast and I, I was a bit disappointed because the truth of the matter is that we we I spoke John and Ian Wood Smith had been to see Mark and he had agreed to stay and I got a phone call from Mark about one o'clock in the morning to say he was staying and we'd we'd have dinner and blah blah blah. And the next morning, I'm driving to the office, and I'm driving into, um, and and the phone goes, it's Mark, and he said, Graham, I'm sorry, I'm off. I said, well, you can't have it. Have you spoken to the chairman? He said, no. I said, well, you can't have this conversation with me. You've got to speak to the chairman. He's just, I literally just heard John on BBC Berkshire telling everyone that, that Mark was staying and how pleased he was, which was fair enough, because that's what we all understood. And um, the... Uh, you know, so I said to Mike, you've got to ring him. And he said, well, I can't get hold of him. So I said, look, you know you can, and try this number, you'll get it. And anyway, I left it five or ten minutes, and I rang John. I said, have you heard from Mark? And he said, no. So I said, look, you're not going to like this, because I don't like it either, so, but don't go shooting the messenger. Mark's just told me he's off, um, and he's on his way to Leicester. And he said, well, you know, and quite understandably, was not best pleased. Um and I think they eventually did speak, but I don't think there was a lot of point in the conversation for obvious reasons. Anyway, we met at John's house, John, Ian and myself. Um, we're watching it on TV unfold with Mark, Colin, Mike, and old Kit Caboodle walking into the, uh, um, you know, the, the Leicester club. Um, and we're sat there thinking, you know, great. <laughs> you know, we're on this crest of a wave and now we got this. So we obviously had to talk to the senior pros. So we talked to um, Quinny and Geordie as the two, you know, uh, senior players, along with AD as the club captain, and the rest is history, really. And whether, given our time again, we'd have left it as long as we did, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm certainly as guilty as anybody else for supporting that decision, so I'm not suggesting anything differently. But it was the next morning... I got a phone call about half past seven at home and it was Colin Lee. And Colin said to me, Graham, it's Colin. I'm in a hotel room at Leicester. Uh, I think I've made a terrible mistake and I need, I'd like to come back. 
And I said, well, Colin, you need to speak to the chairman. I mean, it's not automatic that you can come back, but certainly, you know, because of what's happened, um, you know, certainly you're in a good position. Um, anyway, I think Colin quite rightly said that we got Ian to, to read whatever it was he signed and it wasn't really possible. So, you know, as Colin actually asked to come back, um, you know, Colin, I, I, have, I mean, I've often said that, and Dylan may have a, a different view to this, you know, Mark and Colin, if they'd have been able to maybe stay at Reading and, you know, take it to the level that I think they could have done, then I think they could have been the next, you know, Clough and um, Taylor relationship. Um, because Mark was the man manager, Colin was the tactician and coach. Colin, I've never, you know, I go out to dinner with Colin and he'd be getting salt and pepper pots. You know, I love football, but you know, there is a time and we'd be out with our wives yeah. and he'd, he'd, he'd be talking through a move and, you know, and all the rest of it. Um, you know, Colin was very intense when it came to the coaching side, but was, I, I believe, a large part of the success. And I would certainly give him. And he came, as I say, at the time, he came to Reading. I think he had he just been, yeah, I think he was at Watford and just been sacked um, or changed because of a change of ownership or something. He bit, anyway, it was all at a time where there was, you know, various. Um, uh, things going on in the background. So we were able to get him for not much money. And, you know, we were very fortunate, you know, um, to, have, to have had that. And I think Mark, you know, I identified him because they'd been at Bristol City together as youngsters, I think. And, um, you know, they had a very good working relationship. I don't know the the, the uh, details of the, well, you know, um, the ending of that. I don't think, unfortunately, there's a lot of love lost um there any any longer sadly but anyway that's none of my business i think graham i think from from out from out from a player's point of view at the time you know i think it would have been nice for them to come and come and actually ask asked us you know in the dressing room what was what was going to happen what was yeah. what was happening you know maybe we'd have maybe we could have because we were we we, we were on a, on a different level with, with colin and, and mark they did work together they did you know, it was it, it was it was a unique experience to play under them. You know, because you know you respected them, and we we loved playing for them. We loved the the attitude of of, of the gaffer. We loved the attitude of Colin, and we we you know I think we we were we were all shocked. You know, we we knew the rumours, but we were all shocked. And then obviously, when they went and it didn't work, and then they got poached by wolves, and then. They ended up taking Aussie, they took Aidy and they took Jilsey. It was like, you know, it's like they dismantled that, you know, niche of players that were were vital to what Reading Football Club were all about. Yeah, well, it, it, it is one of those. I mean, people have often said to me, do, do you miss the club? And I say, I miss how it was, but not how I perceive it to be, you know. And I think football has changed and it's not just Reading, it's, it's, it's football as a whole. Um yeah, I mean, maybe there could have been more consultation, but the trouble was we were dropped in it as much as anybody else. And, you know, we firmly believed that we'd had a uh, an agreement that they were staying. And obviously, I think, you know, Mark was at the head of all of that and he made the decision and, you know, only he can say whether he's lived to regret it or, or not. Um, I mean, I, I personally have a view that you can never look back. You always have to look forward. 
I enjoyed my time with Mark. I'd like to think Mark would still consider me to be a friend. If we met, we, we, we'd still uh, have a good uh, laugh and catch up about the old days. And, you know, um, there were lots of good... And, and when he was at Brighton, I used to go down there fairly regularly, inviting me to one of their golf days and things. And, you know, um, he was... Uh, yeah, he was always uh, a good friend. So, you know, um, I haven't seen him recently, but that's mainly because... He's been here, there, and everywhere, and I think now he's pretty much retired. He's, he's doing a school governor's role. I see you you commented on that the other day, and I liked it. But um, you know, uh, I'm not sure what else he's doing these days. It's it's a waste, really, because his man management skills were very good, and you know, he was a good, um, he, he you know, he, he was good on his feet, you know. And Mark and I back in the day, we used to do a number of talks to local business groups, things like Rotary and stuff talking about the ambition of the football club and where it might go and all the rest of it. And, you know, he was always good to work with and uh, positive um, in those sort of scenarios and, you know, represented the club well. I think, uh, you know, looking back, like you said, uh, looking back at the stories, I think it was our first golf, golf, uh, charity golf day when I just joined. I think we played at Sydney Mill, is it? I can't remember now the golf course. I think you introduced me to Stan Bembenek. Oh, right, yeah. You know, you're playing with Stan Bembenek, and, and he was stood behind the car. And uh, he says, oh, where's my cart? I need a golf cart. And, and I went, and I turned around, I turned around and says, he's lazy. How come he's not walking, the lazy bugger? Next thing, he hobbles out on one leg. <laughs> I was like... Oh, I mean, Stan oh. was... A- Yes, I mean, I saw Sam a couple of years ago at a non-league game and uh, he's a good character. He always used to crack me up. I mean, in fairness to the guy, you know, he, he lost his leg and, you know, watching him tee off where, you know, he always made a fair connection, but then he did a sort of couple of 360 <laughs> turns to sort of recover from it. But, you know, he didn't let his impediment sort of stop him enjoying his life and still doesn't, you know. And I think, a lot of the time, he, he did have a false leg, but I, he never wore it for golf. For, no, for whatever I assume that he, it, it didn't work for him on a golf course, but he got on with it, to be fair, and he gave, he gave everything he had. He's still around um, and still, you know, as a, I think he's more involved in local stuff these days. I saw he was involved with Sanders Town or something when I last saw him um, as a supporter, I think. Graham, I've, uh, I've got... I... Got a question for you about the the current side and and Noel Hunt and you mentioned Michael Jilt still involved in the club. Obviously, Noel, great player for Reading, has, has come back. Um, you know what? What do you think of of where the club are are now? And obviously, you mentioned Sir John and and everything he did for Reading. Um, and and now it kind of feels it does feel as if if we're getting through a bit of a kind of. Um, you know, a, a slump, if you like, over the last few years, and we're coming out of that a little bit now. What What do you think of of the way the the club sort of geared up to move forward from here? With I, I to be honest, I'm not close to it, and and I don't go to games. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I kind of stayed with the club after I resigned. I found it increasingly difficult because I used to get players come and try and drag me into things to get things sorted out, and you know, I'd end up. Um, getting into um, discussions with Sir John that I didn't really want to get into. Um, and so in the end, my as a kid, my team was always Chelsea. So I've had season tickets at Chelsea for a number of years, although I've not been going to them since uh, like my kids go, but I haven't been going recently. 
recently and they've got their own problems at the minute. Um, so I think my current feeling about the club is I I think clubs like Reading should be run and managed and owned by local people, like Sir John and, you know, not just me, Frank Waller, people before Sir John, um, you know, the local businessmen. Um, but I also um, know that... Uh, uh, it's it's difficult because of the money. One of the other things that was just coming into play as I stood down was agents. And, you know, most of the Reading players seem to use a guy called Barry Silkman back in those days. And I um, I think I escorted Barry off the, the premises on my uh, last meeting with him because, you know, there was just no reasoning with him. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I couldn't get the players to understand then was the little bit extra he got for them they were giving to him anyway. So, it, you know, if they'd have been sensible, um, they could have kept. So I think agents have spoiled it, you know, the whole thing. You know, I always used to say, if we, for every pound we get through the turnstile, we've got to try not to spend more than 95p, absolute maximum 98p. We've got to save some for a rainy day. We can't build in these cut runs. We can't build in. Uh, and, you know, to be fair, John, was happy to buy into all of that and and did for a number of years. Obviously, moving to the new stadium, it, it required a number of gambles, um, some of which came off. And listen, he took them to the promised land. He took them to the premiership. I, I, I could never take that away from him. You know, in my small way, I almost helped him achieve it um, with the playoffs, but we never quite made it, so I can't claim that. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sad to see the club in the dilemma it's in, but it's difficult to see how it's going to get out of it with the amount of money they seem to spend over and above what they earn. Now, I have no idea how a a person from a totally unrelated country, you know, um, and it's not the first, obviously, it's the third foreign owner we've had involved, um, how they can justify throwing these crazy amounts of money at a club that really don't mean much to them. And, you know, they... He can't be getting any enjoyment from what's been going on since he's owned it. And I I find it all quite bizarre. But, you know, it's none of my business and I wish him well. I certainly hope they manage to pull off uh, the the miracle that's needed to see him survive. Um, And I wish Noel Hunt and uh, the rest of the team down there all the best. And I, I watch the results very carefully. I do listen to AD and Geordie on the radio from time to time. Um, and, um, I, you know, obviously enjoy catching up with them when I do. All right. Well, that, that's all we've got time for. So thank you to Dylan. Thank you to Johnny. And thank you, of course, to our special guest, Graham Denton. Thanks for joining us, Graham. All right. Thank you. And uh, good luck with the, the, the rest of this current series. And uh, Dylan, lovely to see you. Sports Social Podcast Network.